Morning. Uh, great to be here is what we normally say at the beginning, so I'll say that. Uh, but last week was, uh, it is great to be here. Absolutely sincere with that. Last week was Vision Sunday. If you weren't here, uh, you can listen to Anne's talk online. You can hear a little bit about um, the focus that Anne brought called Share for this next year. So do have a listen online to that. Um, uh, And this week we're starting a new series that's following on from that. It's a little bit of how the heck are we going to do that? What does it mean to share our faith in a way? um, We may hear sharing the gospel quite regularly um, uh, and we regularly encourage one another to do so. Um, It often happens here. But what we'd love to think about and engage with is what is it that we share with others? What is the gospel? There we go. I could stop there and tell each other to share the gospel with one another, but we're going to unpack it over a couple of weeks, and then we can do that another time. Um, But what is our confidence in? We talk about being confident in Christ, but what is our confidence in? What's the reason we hold on to joy and to hope, even in the midst of difficulty, uncertainty, and challenges in life? Because it's a pretty amazing message, isn't it? But what is the message. What is it that Jesus has done? What is it that he's opened for everyone? We want to look into that, we want to celebrate that, we want to soak in that, and we want to become confident in that, uh, which is what this little series is about. So today we're kicking it off. Uh, we may know in our hearts or in our, he- or in our heads that we have a God that loves us, uh, whose heart is for all people, that he made a way through the cross, uh, through Jesus, for us to be free. Uh, he brought us into relationship with a living God. But here's the question for us this morning. How easy do you find to share that? How easy is it day by day to share that? In whatever way that may be. Um, and the gospel, as you probably already know, means different things to different people at different times. It has many different angles to it. And it's dependent on various factors, including life stage, including preconceptions about God or, or even church or Christians sometimes. Um, uh, even past experiences just in life can mean that the gospel can come in and almost incarnate itself, make itself known in different ways to different people at different times, all pointing to Jesus. But as we look at the gospel, uh, we see these different threads flowing out of it. Um, each making up an amazing picture of what God has done to restore that relationship with him uh, for each of us, made a way for everyone. So over the next few weeks, we're going to pick up on some of these different threads, these different strands together, unpacking what the gospel means, how it speaks to us in different situations in our own lives. Of course, it's important that we're engaging with it day by day. What is it, Lord, that you've done? How do I therefore get to live? Because otherwise we just kind of stay wondering and we don't get to experience it. But also uh, to know what it means in our conversations with our colleagues, with our friends, with people around our communities, with the random conversations that we get into at various times, maybe with family. How does the gospel speak here within this situation? Because I believe that the gospel is for all people and is relevant for all people. So therefore we need to engage with it, don't we, Uh, in many ways. I want us to be able to pick out what aspect of the gospel would speak into a person's life. There and then, not for our glory to say, let's all high five one another, we share the gospel, but so that they hear the good news of Jesus. Because that's something to share. If you've met Jesus, it's something to share. Uh, and I'd love to share that with everyone. Uh, so there's two questions for us to be thinking about today and to keep returning to as we, as we talk about this, as we think about this. First one is this. Where do I see this aspect of the gospel at work in my own life, my own story? 
This is just the stuff I want us to be thinking about as we go through what we're talking about. Some aspects, some threads of the gospel uh, you'll see more clearly in your life. Um, some you'll have to think a little bit more about. How, how, what does that look like in my life? Jesus has done that. It says it in the word. But what does that mean for me? So that's the first question. The second question is this. When we're in conversation with people, our friends, our colleagues, however it may be, listening to their lives, being normal, talking, relating to people, hanging out with people, what does this aspect of the gospel mean to them? What could it mean in this situation? I want us almost to have laser precision to be able to hear where God can break in at any moment as we look at this. Does that sound okay? Wonderful. So here this week, we're at the first thread. uh, And it really is uh, the one that flows throughout. It's the one that underpins. It's the one that is the foundation uh, to every other part of the gospel. Uh, We could end here, but we're going to look at different angles as well. And that is extravagant grace. It's extravagant grace is what we want to talk about. So the reading today is from Ephesians 1. It's a massive one. (laughs) There's so much in it. My first draft of this talk, I got to point one and it was six pages long. So I kind of adjusted for your benefit and probably mine as well. But in many ways this morning in this passage, we're skimming the surface of it. But we want to dig out a few things for us to engage with this morning. So there's so much more to say than I can say on this. I want to say that from the beginning. Um, but we'll see this extravagant grace throughout. So, so Ephesians 1, uh, 1 to 14. Um, if you've read that before, you'll know what I'm talking about, it being massive. So grab a Bible, switch your Bible on. It's also on the screen, but I like to have something in my hands. So Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Massive, mind-blowing word of the Lord in one small passage. So I hope today that this makes our hearts want to worship as we look at this. That's my number one aim. I want us to remember what he's done and I want us to, to, to delve into it in ways we never have done before. 
So let's pray, and then I'll, I'll crack on. So Father, I thank you for all that <laughs> that we just read. Thank you for the mystery of it. Thank you that we don't fully grasp it, but that you show us day by day as we live for you, as we walk with you. You show, it what, you show us what it means uh, to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus to be adopted, to be chosen, to be holy and blameless in your sight, to have a seal of the Holy Spirit, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be free. And if all that sounds like absolute, you have no idea about it, then Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit today you'd reveal it to our hearts, not just our heads, but to our hearts. So come and do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So, so Paul... It's a bit of context for you, just to, to put it in a context. The guy that wrote, wrote this uh, begins by stating who he is and what his authority is. He's an apostle of Christ. He regards himself as an eyewitness of Jesus. So it's pretty good source that we're getting this from. That's who Paul regards himself as, and he, and he almost sets it up so that he shows his authority in what he's about to say, so it's not just pushed aside. And in the Greek, the next part, 3 to 14, which was why I kind of didn't, well, I had to break in the end for a breath. But it is all one sentence. That entire thing is one sentence. It doesn't have any stops. It has no punctuation in it. I'm not a Greek scholar. Someone told me this. Uh, I don't know about Greek particularly. I did it a bit of college. But I do know from various uh, books that this is one long, almost cascade of praise that comes out um, of Paul's mouth to the one God who Paul follows, who he knows. So this is exciting. There's an excitement in his voice as he reads it. If we were to read it in the Greek, it would be very short of breath by the end. Um, if we had a bit more time, I'd get us all to try and do it in one breath, uh, just to illustrate that a bit more. Do it after, when you go home. But it's the kind of passage that really does take your breath away. Even engaging with single verses in this passage can open up a whole field before us. What, what, Lord, what have you done? This is incredible. And it gives us awe and wonder at what God has done and what he is doing in us and through us. And you can hear this passion, can't you? Just, just by reading it. It seems effortless. It's an overflow of praise from Paul. And you know, when you come to Jesus, everything changes. Paul had gone from someone who persecuted Christians to someone that was right on the front line of sharing um, the gospel with people. But we suddenly realise, as Paul did, what God has done and how we get to live. And this passage unpacks that for us and shows us that it's all about this extravagant grace. This is a hymn of praise, of passion. And it starts, verse 3, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In Christ. That's not some or, or, or a little bit over here. It's not a bit now, then the rest when we die and go to heaven. This passage is saying that this is all spiritual blessings right now. He has blessed us with, in all, with all spiritual blessings in Christ. But how has he done this? It's fine to say that. How has he done this and what does this mean for us? Um, and this passage talks about it being through and in Christ. If you to just map the way through it, you saw, I can't remember how many times it is, but it says it a lot. It says, in Christ, in the one he loves, 
numerous times. It's almost like God's trying to point something out to us about something that Jesus has done for us. We are in Christ. He has represented us. He's taken our place on the cross. What happens to him happens to them. He is the king. What happens to the king happens to his people. What is true of him is true of them. It's one way of viewing it. But it's more intimate than this. This in Christ is more intimate than this. We aren't just associated with him in some representative way, like he did it over there, thank you, and now I'm trying to live over here. The Bible speaks in many ways in bridal, in marriage language. This is an intimate thing to say, that we are in Christ Jesus. And it's meant to be the perfect expression of marriage. It almost makes me feel uncomfortable to say that. Well, that's probably because I've not fully grasped how close God is and how much he has embraced me. Does it make anyone else feel slightly uncomfortable using the word intimate, using the perfect expression of marriage as the relationship between us and God? I think this morning the Holy Spirit wants to come and just begin to do that in our hearts. And we'll, we'll, he'll be doing it as we speak, but he'll do it more in a little bit as well, I'm sure. It's a little bit like this, and now you're going to have to bear with me here. I saw a metaphor a couple of years ago, um, and it involves a glass. I think I did it about six months ago, but it bears repeating. So this uh, is exhibit A. This is a glass of water. Good. You're all in agreement. Excellent. Every time I do this, everyone looks at me like I've completely lost it. But this glass is Christ. It's not Christ, don't worry. It represents Christ in this moment. I've not lost it that much. The water inside this glass, although it's gone slightly bubbly, I don't know why, represents every spiritual blessing that's found in Christ Jesus. On this little figure here, this is Eric. So say hello to Eric. There we go, there's Eric. I don't know why I called him Eric. I was trying to um, find a name that I didn't know existed in St. Barnabas. So if you're here for the first time, you're Eric. Imagine this is you, that's great. Um, But this is the bride of Christ. This is the church. This is everybody who said yes to the Lord. This is Eric. And when we come to the Lord and we surrender our lives to him, we get put in the glass and hopefully float. We are adopted into Christ. We are in Christ. The glass represents Christ. The water is every spiritual blessing. The figure represents us. So if you look at Eric, you're also looking at the glass and the water because Eric is in the water. If you're looking at the glass, you're also looking at Eric because Eric is in the water. In fact, it is impossible to look at the water without looking at Eric. I guarantee some people are trying to do that now. There we go. So it's not watertight, but bear with me. Eric is one with the water, if you like. What happens to the water happens to him. Eric is one with the water. The water is wet, so Eric is wet. 
The water is sharing its attribute with Eric. Whatever is true about the glass of water also becomes true for Eric. Because Eric is in the water, which is in the glass. If the glass is in the dark, guess where Eric is? He's in the dark. If the glass is in the light, where is Eric? Yeah, okay. If I heat the glass up, Eric gets hot. If I raise the glass, Eric is high. If I put the glass on the floor, Eric is on the floor. Kind of floating, but forget about that bit. In fact, it's impossible to look at the glass without looking at the water, or the water without looking at Eric. This is exactly the same kind of intimate relationship that God wanted with his people. With you. It was his idea since before the creation of the world. In fact, it's even why he created it. God wanted to incorporate humanity, Eric here, into what's called the triune fellowship, which is a fancy word of saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ. That's how he did it. So let me put this down because my arm's aching. I'm beginning to shake. I'm going to pop this here. If the glass is on this table, where's Eric? Yeah, good. We get it. So what does this mean? All that is true about Christ becomes true about us. We don't become Christ. It's not what I'm saying. God wanted another to relate to, to love. But now that we are in Christ, all that is true about Christ becomes true about us. And so all the love the Father has for the Son is the love that he has for you. All who are in Christ. In the process of loving Christ, he loves who is in Christ. We're getting somewhere. I'm just wanting to make sure we hear it. The love that God has for Christ is the love that he has for all that are in Christ. You and I, if you've come to faith, it's not secondary love, it's not separate that he did it over there and now we're trying to live. But in the process of loving Christ, he is loving all that are in Christ. Because whatever is true about Christ is also true about whoever is in Christ. The perfect, incomprehensible, intense, unwavering, unimprovable love, the love that God is himself, is now directed to all that are in Christ. All that is true about Christ is now true about us. So if you said yes to him, surrendered your life to him and for him, you are in Christ, and this now is your location So right now, this moment, here and now, you are loved infinitely with a perfect, incomprehensible love. You cannot this moment, right now, be loved any more than you are because you are in Christ. Now just let that sink in.
It doesn't increase when you're having a good day or go down when you're having a bad day. It doesn't increase because you're feeling warm and fuzzy right now or go down because you're feeling cold and apathetic this morning and wet from the rain. It doesn't go up because you've had a good holy week or down because you feel like you're backslidden in some way and you haven't lived for Christ. It doesn't improve when your faith is strong. It doesn't decrease when you think your faith is weak. It doesn't improve when you've got it all together. It doesn't decrease when you're all messed up. It doesn't improve when your theology is all straight. And it doesn't go down when you're confused and have nothing but questions. If you are in Christ, there's no ifs and ands and maybes or buts. You are loved with an everlasting perfect love. Praise the Lord. We usually don't feel it. We're strapped with an old nature, who we were before we came to Christ. We kind of live in this double thing. We only get a glimpse of it now, and we know that one day we'll, we'll feel it, we'll fully encounter it in its fullness, but it doesn't change what is true about us right now, what is real. All that is true about Christ becomes true about us, says Paul. So if Jesus is holy, which he is, then you are holy. In fact, he even starts at the beginning of this passage by calling, saying God's holy people, saints. To the saints. Jesus is holy, you are holy. Jesus is righteous, so we are made righteous right before God. We're called to extend that righteousness to the world around us. Jesus is loved with an everlasting love, so you are loved with an everlasting love. Jesus has unsurpassable joy, so therefore we have that joy through every circumstance. Jesus is perfect peace and has perfect peace, therefore we have perfect peace because we are in Christ Jesus. See, God chose his people in love and we can take no credit for it. It's holy and fully him. It is absolute, utter grace. It's extravagant grace. It's extravagant grace. Ephesians 1, 6 says, and it's to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on on us in the one he loves, in Christ. The praise of his glorious grace. He made the first move. It's not dependent on us at some point making a decision. We did and we do make decisions freely but only because in eternity God had first chosen us in love. It's grace because it's free. It's costly because it's extravagant grace. We turned away, but thankfully he didn't turn away from us. He kept pursuing. The master plan was going forward no matter what. Whatever it took, whatever it takes, even death itself on a cross is the extent he'd go to to welcome us home. God wanted this for us and wants this for us. And so he went forward with it, and so it's grace, it's costly grace, but the plan was there from the start for this to be freely given to us. We can't earn it, we can't merit it, we can't achieve it, we can't accomplish it. There's nothing we can do to get it. If you're here today to earn something or prove something, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) You just receive, and it's scandalous. 
It depends on one thing and one thing only. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? If you are, then this grace is freely bestowed on you, this glorious grace, Paul says. It's glorious because it shows the glory of God. Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of God's glory, the shininess of God's shininess, I heard someone else say. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, Jesus, is the very radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. This is firm and sure and unshakable. This is God that has done this. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues And God has done this for you, for me, in Christ. So that's the introduction. So we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Jesus. Grace and peace, Paul gives us at the beginning. Surely that's in there. If Christ is perfect peace, we're in Christ. What's true about him is true about us. In Christ Jesus, to the praise of his glorious grace. We are chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless before him. In Christ Jesus, to the praise of his glorious, extravagant grace. We're adopted to be sons and daughters of the king. We have access. One of the things I used to do when I still lived with my parents uh, was I'd go into the fridge and I'd check out what food was in whenever I went in, and I'd just eat what I liked. I have a memory of getting in from a night out when I was about 17 with my friend Dan. It's about three in the morning, and we decided to use my dad's very nice beef that was for a family party the next day to make some burgers. And we burnt the whole thing and set the fire alarms off. But I had access to my parents' fridge. Every now and again, I'd check out my dad's beer collection. I didn't particularly like some of the Ruddles County that he likes, um, but he likes that one. But um, we, we have a beer together now. But it's similar here. I heard one person say, we have access to our Heavenly Father's fridge. That's how intimate it is. You know that access you have? We have that with God because we are adopted. We're redeemed, forgiven, and free. You're redeemed through his love. Redeem was the word used for buying back a slave, a captive, at a set price. We're redeemed through Jesus' blood. That was the price to get us back. We're forgiven, so much so that we're now clothed in Christ. When the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. Remarkable. We're free. We're free from any penalty or consequence of sin that separated us from Christ. We don't preach condemnation. We preach grace and freedom and forgiveness. The message always puts it better. So let me read you this from the message. And not just barely free either, but abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven and everything everything on planet Earth. All this in Christ Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace.
Maybe you see God as master this morning. When we realize this, we see God as living father. Maybe you're independent and self-reliant. When we realize day by day, we live like this. We become interdependent. Maybe you're insecure and you lack peace. Who isn't? But when we realize this, when we live in this, we become more and more walking in rest, walking in peace day to day. Maybe you strive for praise, approval, acceptance. When we realize this, we know we're accepted in God's love. Maybe you suffer with self-rejection from comparing yourself. When we realize we live like this, we have affirmed by value, we are affirmed by valuing God first. Maybe we seek comfort in counterfeit affections. When we realize we live like this, we rest in the Father's presence and love. Maybe we know we've got that competition, rivalry, and jealousy within us. When we realize we can live like this, we can live in unity and humility with one another. I've got a massive list here. I'm not going to read it all out. It's talking about who we are before and who we are when we know we're adopted by God. We'll pray into some of those things in a little little moment. But God was determined to have mankind, you and me, as his own, to be holy and blameless before him, clean, restored, free. And I love to view it as almost like he has a big bear hug around humanity and he's drawing in his grace to the praise of his glorious grace just drawing not forcing drawing making a way maybe you've encountered that bear hug maybe you're here this morning because you you're just beginning to realise that realise who God is for the first time it's true says Paul we get to live for his praise and glory. It's in Christ that we found out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose in working out everything and everyone. But just to finish, in case you ever forget any of that, as we do, God sealed it with his Holy Spirit. Just in case we ever forget. Just in case we ever slip back to who we were before. God has sealed it with his Holy Spirit and said, you're not on your own. I am with you. When you believed you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I could do a whole sermon on that, but bear with it. In the ancient world, when a package was dispatched, a seal was placed on it to indicate where it had come from and whom it belonged. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You belong to Jesus. You are in Christ. And you're loved because of grace. And one day, God will come and restore all things. 
so that everything is perfectly operating in that grace. And until then, we get to live it now and constantly come back and go, I didn't live it again, but Lord, in your grace, restore me, cleanse me, forgive me. You belong to Jesus, you're in Christ, you're loved because of grace. He made the first move. The heart of the gospel is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We can't earn it, we can't merit it, we can't achieve it. It's glorious, extravagant grace, and it's freely bestowed on you this morning. And if you haven't received it yet, it's offered to you. God in Jesus welcomes you home in Jesus. What an invitation! It's too good to turn down. So as we look at share this year over these next weeks, this is what we share, that God did it. (laughs) That God did it. It's simple. God did it. God loves. God welcomes. We can't earn it. We can't merit it, achieve it. And it's not any more complicated than that. Come to God because he welcomes you. Amen. Amen.